Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Did you know that Kinda Dating Now has merch? Yep. We collaborated with tpublic.com to create t-shirts, hoodies, mugs, stickers, iPhone cases, and so much more. Picking up one of our items is a great way to support the show and grab some swag for yourself. So swing over to tpublic.com or follow the link in the description of this episode to grab yours today. Hey guys, thanks for listening to Kinda Dating, the comedy dating podcast where I, your host, Natasha Chandel, and some cool guests break down the dating world and try to figure out why the fuck do we all have commitment issues? Today's topic is the effects of grief on your dating life. Let's do this. Hello, friends. I'm Natasha Chandel. You're listening to Kinda Dating. Most of us have felt heartache at some point, and it is hard to pick yourself back up. There's a feeling of loss, sadness, even guilt that keeps us in a vicious cycle. But there is light at the end of the tunnel. There is hope. Before we get into that, uh, you know, we would love for you to subscribe to this podcast wherever you get it and also tell your friends um, because that is the best way for us to grow. Um, also leave us a five-star rating or review. Uh, we'd be so grateful. Aisha's here with us. Hey, hey. What's up, girl? How's it going on this Sunday? Oh, you know, <laughs> I don't know if I told you this. I got a concussion. <gasps> oh, my goodness. Second oh, one. wait, no, when you yeah. were tubing, right? Yeah, I had a tubing accident, guys, on last Sunday. This is the following Sunday. And we thought that I just uh, had whiplash. But yeah, multiple doctors have confirmed there's also a concussion. Um, But, you know, we're here. We are chugging along. We are doing it. Um, And and I'm always grateful for you to be here, Aish. Yeah, here to support, for sure. (laughs) How can everyone follow you? You guys can find me at Aisha Says Dance all over the internet. And we are also uh, on social media, guys. We're at Kinda Dating across the board. Please follow us on Instagram. That's what we're uh, definitely focused on. Um, I am also around uh, on Instagram. I'm at Natasha Chandel, uh, Natasha underscore Chandel on Twitter, Natasha dot Chandel on TikTok, where I'm a weirdo. Um, <laughs> we also have merch available on tpublic.com. Go check that out. Um, we are going to get into this very important episode. And I want to introduce um, our really qualified guest. Uh, She's a certified life coach, grief expert, widow, mom, and host of the Widowed Mom podcast. Uh, Hi, Krista St. Germain. How are you? Hey, I am good. I'm so glad to be here. Yeah, we're so glad to have you. Thank you for joining us. Uh, You know, uh, this is a very important episode. I think we have a lot of listeners across the spectrum, you know, people, while we're, we are more geared towards sort of the millennial Gen Zers, um, we have a lot of people who are uh, in different 
generations um, and in different uh, stages of their life. Um, and I think grief can hit at any point. Um, so I, I really appreciate uh, you being here to talk about this from all those points of view. Um, but we'd love to know what your podcast is also about. Yeah, totally. I'm so glad you mentioned that too, because I think sometimes people do think that uh, you know, grief only happens, or at least becoming a widow only happens if you're of a certain age. And I know for me, when my husband died, I was only 40, right? And like no one in my social circle had lost their spouse. And so um, not that I want any of your listeners to go through any of that, but, you know, it does happen, right? And sometimes there's a lot of support out there for people who are older, but not so much the younger demographic. So, you know, I'm glad to talk about what it's like to be a younger person and still have the loss of a spouse. So yeah, my husband died about five years ago and I was not intending to be a life coach. I was working a regular corporate job and he was killed. We were coming back from a trip and he was changing the, or trying to change the car on my tire. We'd driven separately and I had a flat tire. And so um, we both pulled over on the side of the highway and he went to change my tire and a driver that we later found out had meth and alcohol in his system did not break, did not stop, just crashed right into the back of Hugo's Drango and trapped him in between his car and mine. And a day later, just gone, right? Totally did not see it coming at all. And, you know, you think, and this was my second marriage. My first marriage was rocky and took me a long time to get out of there. And so he was kind of like my redemption, right? So he was like the prince and uh, just really thought that my best days were behind me. And fortunately, had a great therapist, found life coaching. You know, Reader's Digest version is that I figured it out. I figured out how, how do you get back to not just like hollow robotic surviving, but genuinely get back to a place where you really do love your life again. Um, not easy, but totally doable. So that's what I help women do. My gosh, I am so sorry for, I, I know, I, I, but I don't want to like, I don't want to be like, oh, I'm so sorry, but you know what I mean? Like I, uh, it, it's such a yeah. hard thing to go through. Um, and I'm sorry you've had to experience that kind of loss with somebody you, you really loved. Um, but you, you work through it. And, and I love that you kind of found purpose in it. Um, how long did that yeah. sort of take you? Well, you know, I actually started my certification to become a coach in almost a year from the date that he died. So I had been following a life coach, not because I was really interested in life coaching, but just because I've always been one of those like self-help kind of people, you know, just always interested in, in learning and growing. And so I've been listening to her and the acute grief for me was, you know, I don't know, quite, a, quite intense. Like there's that period for most of us where you're like, what the hell just happened? Like, is this my life? It, you know, that just doesn't feel real. And so immediately I went back to therapy because I had had a great therapist when I was going through my divorce and just like told the story, talked about it, kind of got to the place where it was actually real, right? Got back to work. He and I had worked together at the same company. And so that was kind of a mixed blessing, a blessing because everybody there knew him and loved him. And mm -hmm. so they really got the gravity of the loss. Not so great in some ways because work was never really an escape from the grief. 
you go to work yeah. and you know every meeting room had a memory and um but got back to work and then kind of just got to that like kind of flatline place is how it felt where everybody's saying things like oh you're so strong you're doing so great and you're kind of thinking to yourself like okay really because like this doesn't feel this doesn't feel good right i i can see myself making it i can see that i am checking off the tasks on my to-do list i can see that i'm functioning but i don't feel like i want to feel and it just happened that that life coach that i had been following launched a program at I, it was like the exact time that I needed it. And so I decided to join and it was so powerful for me that within six months I had decided to become a coach. And interestingly enough, at the same time I had been, my therapist was telling me I should become a therapist. <laughs> she had my whole life planned out. She said, you can, I'll get you into this MFT program and you come work for me. And when I'm ready to sell my practice, you can buy my practice. She has a really wow. lovely practice in the area. But you know, sometimes, you know, you're just kind of, I think people in helping professions say this a lot where they just kind of always know this just inner knowing that they're supposed to be doing something like that because they've always been the person that other people come to. That was kind of me. So yeah, it happened relatively quickly uh, because it was just so powerful. Right. And, and I think therapy would have been also a lovely way to help. But for me, life coaching was just so much more powerful. It was so much more forward focused and I like tools. I like practical, tangible things and coaching gave me that. And so, yeah, a year in, so let's go for it. And you also kind of, if you've ever had a major loss, maybe you went through something similar, but it's a huge opportunity to just really check. Am I living the life that I want? Because that job, it was paying me well, but I didn't love it, right? I didn't, I love the people there, but it was not the contribution in the world that I wanted to make. And you just realize, wow, life is so short. If, if this is not what I'm meant, to be doing, then I want to figure that out for myself because nothing is promised. And so I just quit my job, certified, quit my job and didn't look back. Yeah. I mean, you know, you, you also said something a little earlier that I think would be good to address off the top, which is obviously this episode is for the people who are going through a type of grief. But what yeah. about the people who are who are interacting with somebody who is grieving, mm. whether yeah. you are a friend, a family member, a coworker? Um, you know, I've had friends who have grieved the loss of um, of a life, and mm-hmm. I know that they have told me how they've hated certain things. Uh, of what people say. So is there any advice? Because, you know, sometimes people just don't know what to say. Right. And so friends going through something like you were young when, when you lost your, you are young, you know what I mean? But you, but you were even younger when you lost your husband. And so I'm sure like there were two types of people. There are the people who are totally there and they get it. And then they're the ones that just freak out because they're like, I don't, I don't know what to do. Right. Yeah. So I'm just not going to say anything. And sometimes the ones you think will be there are not the ones that end up being there, which is also super fascinating. So yeah, what to say to someone who's gone through a loss? Um, you know, first I will say, when I'm talking about grief with my clients, it's because we're talking about a death loss. But 
like, let's expand the definition of grief too, because there's so many other reasons that we grieve that have nothing to do with the death of a human. So it could be the end of a relationship. It could be, you know, the end of a job. I mean, COVID, right? The end of anytime you expect something to be, and it turns out other than what you expected, there is grief, right? If it, if if it's significantly different or um, emotionally impactful in that way. So, but if it's someone who's going through a loss, I think the biggest thing you can do is, is first of all, just like cut yourself a break because you're probably not going to say it right. <laughs> you're probably not going to say it the way that you later wish you had. And so if you can just be kind to yourself, even when you say that thing that later you're like, oh, damn it, I wish I hadn't said that. Um, we all do that and we're all human. And I know for sure before Hugo died, I know I didn't handle things the way that I would handle them now, right? So we got to be kind to ourselves. And then secondly, I think the biggest thing after that is, don't minimize, right? We try, we see other people feeling bad. We don't, we feel bad watching them feel bad. And so we think the answer to our feeling bad is for them to feel better. And so we try to make them feel better. And that is not at all what they need. They do not need anyone to try to make them feel better. They just simply need somebody to be with them as they feel bad. So when we say things like, at least, well, at least they, at least you're young. You know, at least they didn't suffer. At least, you know, you can probably find somebody else. At least you didn't have kids together. At least anything that starts with at least, probably you trying to make them feel better. And that usually backfires because then they feel minimized. Mm. Yeah. That's so a it's really more like, point. yeah, just, just knowing that their emotions are not problems to be fixed. Can you just right. be with them as they feel how they feel? And that's, that's man, it's so hard for people to do that. I know a lot of my friends have disliked people telling them like really cliche things like it's going to be all, you know, time will heal or Uh maybe they, you know, God has another angel and things like that, where Uh it's more for you to feel better. And even if like I had to learn this um, when I dated somebody and and he lost his dad uh, is that like I heard him pretty quickly when he said, I don't like hearing those things. And even though I believe in an afterlife, I realized other people might not. And it's not yeah. my place to say anything because the truth is I don't know what will happen. Right. So there's no point in me sitting there going, you know, saying something again, really inspirational thing that I know I don't know is real or not. Yeah. Even if you do, like, I would never tell another woman who lost her spouse that I know how she feels because even Mm. though I've lost my spouse, I don't know how she feels. Right. I don't know what her loss is like. So we, we, we have this, you know, desire to connect with other humans. And so we kind of want to say things like, well, when my so-and-so died or when mine's happened and we, it comes from the best of places right? But we don't really ever know what someone's individual circumstance is like. So probably best just not to to make comparisons. Mm. You know, uh, something I also like to start with um, whenever we're discussing a topic in, and this is obviously about grieving, is like, let's just go to the absolute basics where is suppose somebody doesn't know what they are feeling. So what is this feeling of grief that we are talking about? Um, And then sort of how else does 
that grief manifests, especially in sort of the dating, mm-hmm. love, relationship world? Yeah. So I like to think of grief as more of an umbrella term. So some people think of grief as just a description of a feeling. I think of it more as all the thoughts that we have about a loss, all the all the feelings that we have about a loss, and then our behaviors after the loss. So it's really much bigger than just an emotion. And when you look at it that way, then you really just want to give it a really broad brush. So it's really all emotions can be a part of grief, even the ones that we would classify as as positive. And I use that in air quotes, right? So sometimes people just, they're familiar with what they've heard with the five stages of grief and they don't really realize that that's, that's not, you know, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross was never trying to say with the five stages of grief that you're, it's supposed to be linear, that you're supposed to only experience these feelings or experiencing these feelings in that exact order. So we really just have to say, listen, you can feel despair, you can feel anger, but you can also feel gratitude and joy and envy and, you know, any of it is going to be part of the grief experience. And so it's not just one thing. And if we knew that going in, I think we'd feel a little less crazy while we're there. (laughs) Like I have this question all the time with my clients. They're like, is it normal to feel so anxious? Hmm. Nobody expects you to feel so anxious when you're grieving, right? But oh my gosh, probably one of the most common emotions is anxiety and grief. And we're just, we're only looking for sadness and loneliness and anger. And so we just really want to broaden that up. Yeah, no, it's, it's, a, it's important to, to uh, tell people that so that they can identify it if that's yeah. what they're feeling. Um, and again, you know, I, I think you mentioned this earlier. Uh, obviously, you are discussing it with somebody who has lost a person um, in sort of the physical form. We're... I think there are a lot of types of grief that people can feel in the dating world about, you know, sometimes even the idea of losing yourself, losing Mm -hmm. time because maybe they've spent 20 years with somebody or 10 years with somebody and then it ended badly. And now they, you know, have this sense Mm -hmm. of I've lost my life. Where am I? Yeah. Um, I know for me, I was in uh, an abusive relationship. And when I came out of that, I had this whole grief of, I mean, I was very depressed. And and a lot of that was grieving who I used to be mm-hmm. because I felt my innocence was broken at that mm-hmm. point. Yeah. And, and then I know it took, it, 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 you go through this, very crazy cycle. And I really would love for you to tell people how that unprocessed grief Mm -hmm. can affect kind of your current relationship, future relationships, because I'm sure you see that a lot. Totally. In fact, I, I end up meeting a lot of women coming to me after they've already started dating again. And it's not, it's not going well, or um, you know, some have even gotten married again and then realize, wait a minute, I, there was some, some work I didn't do or some stuff I didn't clean up that it's kind of like whack-a-mole and it's popping up now in my life again. So I think the biggest thing I see is trying to fix, again, air quotes, fix an emotional issue by entering into a new relationship, 
right? So if you have not gotten to the place where you realize that you are the boss of all of your emotions, right? That you are whole and worthy and 100% complete without another person. And you perceive loneliness as your biggest problem. And then you start looking for another relationship to solve your loneliness. That is not going to be a recipe for success, right? So it's it's those kinds of things that I see. Also, um, any sort of worthiness issues tend to bubble up. So if, you know, if there's a part of you that doesn't think that you are worth dating, right? Or that you are worth happiness, right? Uh, that will bubble up in grief, right? You will, you will tend to think that that one person you were with was magical, right? Mm. Once in a lifetime. Um, and that you probably aren't going to be happy in the future because you didn't really deserve the happiness that you had. Right. Mm. And so those kinds of things tend to always bubble up. I would say the bulk of the work that I do is actually about emotions, right? It's about processing whatever the emotions are. And sometimes it's guilt and some, sometimes it's relief, right? Sometimes uh, it's just immense sadness or loneliness, but it's figuring out that you actually get to create your own emotional state, that your emotions are supposed to be there. There's nothing wrong with you because they are and learning to let them flow through you instead of making them mean something terrible about you. Uh, Because when you kind of get that emotional confidence, if you will, then you can start dating again, right? Because if you if you worry, right, if you don't believe that you can handle sadness after a loss, right, and you you really haven't spent enough time with it to develop confident, confidence that you can handle it, then do you want to get back out there and date again and risk the chance that you might get more of it? No, no, you don't, right? If you don't think, if you don't feel confident about handing, handling rejection, do you want to put yourself out there and get potentially rejected again? No. So that's the first thing I work with my clients on is how do I let an emotion just flow through my body? So that it's not, it's not a problem anymore, right? It's not something I have to react to or resist or try to get away from or try to eat or try to shop or, you know, try to do whatever behavior that we're often doing to try to get away from emotions. And I realized that it really can't hurt me. So, so what if I go out there and I get rejected? So what if I go out there and I say something stupid and I feel embarrassed or I feel ashamed? I can handle those feelings. They can't hurt me. Right. Yeah. I, uh, like I said, I had dated somebody whose whose dad died a month into us dating. And I know uh, and I watched very acutely a person who was relatively, uh, you know, formed as a human, I guess you could say, fully break down, you know, mm-hmm. where um, in interactions, it was like talking and then somebody would just start talking about something else, like just fully kind of not Mm -hmm. present and, and found himself like distancing from the relationship because he couldn't process what was happening. And then, um, for him, and this is something he only told me years later, um, when he was like very much apologizing for what had happened, he, because he didn't treat me very well, it turned into something pretty toxic and it was, I don't know if this is true, but this is what he was saying, was that his, his dad had died of cancer. And so he uh, was abstaining from sex with me because he was trying to make himself suffer because he heard or he heard that his dad had suffered in his last year. So he promised himself that he would make himself suffer for one year. And, and so he did all these things to kind of keep himself, 
at bay. And I, again, I don't know if that's true or not, but that's mm-hmm. what this person said. Um, and I know, I, I know that this person was deeply affected by the loss of their parent. And I think that, you know, we often don't talk about also that in the relationship space where sometimes when you're younger, um, the first big loss that you can feel is sometimes of a parent mm-hmm. by surprise, you know, and, and how that can manifest itself into really problematic behavior within relationships because you're scared of loss. Totally. Right. And so because you're scared of that, you just don't, you won't even put yourself in a situation right. where you can kind of uh, experience that again, especially for younger minds who aren't formed yet and don't have the wisdom or maturity to deal with something uh, differently. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it makes a lot of sense, right? That if, if you don't want to experience loss, then kind of what we do is accidentally we create that loss experience ahead of time by just not, you know, not putting ourselves out there and not being open to what it is that we really want, which is connection. And so we create that same loss of connection that we're ultimately worried that we're going to experience. We just do it ahead of time. Aisha, have you kind of ever felt or experienced like a grief or seeing people around you kind of going through it? I mean, it's funny that we're talking about this episode now definitely going through it currently. We had a fairly uh, recent death in the family that sort of shook a lot of things up. And um, again, it's very recent, but so far it's been a lot of just like everybody staying busy, you know, keeping, keeping emotions at bay, but um, it's, it's, it's difficult. It's tough. That's for sure. So yeah. I'm really sorry. I didn't know. Yeah. Right. I haven't really talked okay? about it because, you know, it's, uh, it's difficult. Yeah. Nothing but. like putting it on a podcast and adding some video <laughs> while we do it. I mean, why not? Right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, Krista, when, you know, when you see something fresh like that, like what Aisha's experiencing, I mean, what's sort of the first thing you, you tell people when they're going through that? Well, I don't know that I have any words that ever make it all better. So I don't really try. Right. But just however you're feeling is okay. Right. And however you're responding is okay. Because typically we tend to judge ourselves for how we're handling things. And we tend to, you know, well, I'm not crying enough or I'm crying too much or I'm not talking enough or I'm talking too much. And we just don't know how to be non-judgmental toward ourselves. And so if we can just, oh, there's, you know, there's no rules to grief. Whatever you feel, it's fine. Whatever you're thinking, it's fine. However you're expressing it or not expressing it, it's okay. Right. And starting there. Is it ever, do, do you ever find that people feel guilty all when the they go through the grief? Because especially not just while it's fresh, but, you know, at some point down the line, I'm sure you'll watch a comedy show and something will make you laugh. But then you feel guilty for laughing because you're like, mm, I shouldn't yeah. even laugh at all. Like even for a minute, even for 30 seconds, even for a moment in my brain. Um, do you find that? And what's sort of your advice to people who feel guilty about having happy moments and even eventually when it comes to relationships moving on? Yeah, all the time. So it's like we can't even 
we make ourselves feel bad about feeling bad and then we make ourselves feel bad about feeling good right so so we just explore it so what is the why is it not okay to laugh why is it not okay to be happy again what is the story in your brain about you for having felt happy again right is it that you didn't love them enough is it that you're not you're you're not grieving right you're not grieving long enough like what is the actual story and then I help them see that it's a story, right? That it's not really true. And then most of the time, most of the time when we're in that kind of mind drama about how we feel, it's because we just haven't seen that what's going on in our head is optional. We just think it's really real, right? If I'm laughing, I didn't love them enough. We think that's true or many variations on the theme. And so and I just help them explore, is it true? How do we know that? Are we sure about that? What if it's not true? Let me poke some holes in it. You know, what do you think your loved one would be thinking if they saw you happy? Would they be upset? Right. And we think, and we look at it that way. But yeah, and then comes it. Then it's a whole nother. Sorry, go ahead. Well, I mean, we just go, we go through it in in phases, right? So initially it's like you said, where it's, you laugh at a movie and then you make yourself feel bad because you're happy. And then you kind of start thinking about dating and then you make yourself feel bad because you're thinking about the future. And then you actually start dating and then you make yourself feel bad because you laughed on a date, right? And so (laughs) just the stories continue and we have to keep seeing them as stories. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't imagine like that. That is got to be hard, especially um, if the loved one was your partner, you know, to like wh- when when is it right to move on or or to date again? So mm-hmm. how, how do how do you know if how does somebody know if they're ready to date again? Yeah. Well, I, I don't know that there's a hard and fast rule. Sometimes you think you're ready and then you get out there and you start and you realize, wait, no, I don't think I am ready. Totally fine. Right. Sometimes you think you're not possibly ready and then you run into someone in the grocery store and all of a sudden there's a spark and maybe you are more ready than you thought you were. Right. So I don't think there's a formula for that, but I just think you just want to not hang so much weight on it because we really make it such a big deal and it doesn't have to be such a heavy experience, not a problem. If you think you're ready and you change your mind, okay. If you don't think you're ready and you change your mind, okay, right? But it doesn't have to be so heavy. So all or nothing. But what is the what what are some of the things because you said you have some clients who kind of come to you after they have made Mm. they've already started dating, right? So they thought that they were ready. They might not be. Um how can they, how can people try to identify, especially when you are overwhelmed with so many other feelings that maybe like it's not a rebound or, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, and if you haven't had a loss, we all have rebounds, you know, after a, a regular breakup. So yeah. like, how do we identify um, when we are being driven by our emotions versus? Yeah. You know, really yeah. I think ready? there's nothing wrong with the rebound. Right. And there's no whatever rules we have about dating, I think we, this is definitely a great opportunity to look at them because maybe we just want to date to try it again and just see what it's like to get back out there. Maybe we want to do all kinds of dating because we were with one partner forever, right? There's just so many different reasons and ways and none of them wrong. But um, what I see is that it's a lot more fun if you get yourself to a place where you realize you don't need a partner. 
Right. Right. That you've got you and you are full and complete. You have fun wherever you go. Right. You, you're self-sufficient in, in all the ways, but especially emotionally. And it's not like the missing piece where you're trying to fill some perceived hole with another person. Right. If you think, well, it's no fun to go out without being part of a couple. Okay. Maybe we want to do the work on that. Right. Because if you don't know how to have fun as a single person, then you're going to be looking to that other person to bring the fun instead of taking responsibility for bringing the fun, right. And being fun or whatever it is. And so that's the work I think is is worth doing is how do I get myself to a place where I could just totally take it or leave it. Hmm. And then from that place, then I'll go if I'm really looking for a relationship and it's, then it becomes more about contribution and, and something that's, you know, greater than the sum of its parts. It's fun. It's about loving, giving instead of, you know, receiving. And it does, you don't, there's just not so much weight on it. If they don't like you, they don't like you next. Right. Yeah. And let's take the dating part to the next level. What about sex? You know, because that can, Bring some people stuff. feel guilty about that. Is there, is there like a, like, I, I think, you know, some people say you should wait a year or whatever. People have rules around all of this. So what are your thoughts about like sex while you're grieving? I'm not a big fan of any rules, especially the whole one year thing. It's like we expect that magical things happen at a year and they don't happen at a year. It's nothing magical happens. And so, especially if we go through the whole first year and we're just like gritting our teeth and like, you know, grasping and feeling really tight about everything, then it's just so disappointing when you get to the one year and you're no different than you were before because you were expecting something magical to happen. So again, I think it's the same thing with dating in terms of sex, right? There's no rules. You get to make the rules. If you want to have sex tomorrow and your person died yesterday, like that's you, you, you are empowered to make that choice. And the, the reason I say that is because it's the rules that we put on ourselves that give us so much heartache, right? Mm-hmm. It's that judgment. Well, I'm not supposed to, you're supposed to do this. You're not supposed to do that. And that just makes it even harder. But if really we could just say, no, like if there's no rules, what do I want? right? And why? And do I like my reasons? doesn't matter what anybody else thinks or what society thinks the rules should be. What are the rules for me as it relates to sex or dating or any of it? And do I like my rooms? Right. And that's different things for different people, which is why I don't ever give blanket advice. Mm. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a really fair point. Uh, What are, what are some of the, the myths you know, around uh, grief and sex specifically. Um, I assume some of it is like yeah. you you don't want it because you're grieving. That's or my whatever. favorite. Uh, That's my yeah. favorite. But what you, are what some you, of the ones that you've what heard? you really need? You just need some physical touch, honey. So you just need to go get a massage. That's what you really. Need. <laughs> That's one of my favorites. That's As fun. though you don't know the difference between wanting. <laughs> a massage versus wanting sex, right? They're very different things. And so, so I hate any advice that, that gives people this idea that somehow because of grief, they don't know what they want. You Mm. you already feel kind of crazy 
because mm-hmm. sometimes it's just like being on an emotional roller coaster and your hormones can be out of whack and your sleep patterns can be out of whack and you're you're questioning your identity and questioning your future and it just feels like the rug got ripped out from under you so to then say well you you can't trust your body or you can't trust your your mind to know what you want i just think is ridiculous um so i'm not a big fan of that also like i said i'm not a big fan of the timeline right mm-hmm. and and i think I'm not a big fan of the the idea of widow stage. I, I don't really love that term. I don't know if you've heard of it, um, but uh, a lot of people will say, "Well, what is it? Widow, widow stage." Oh, right. Um, I know some people think it's really funny, um, and I've had you know clients and friends describe themselves in that way. I, I, I guess I'm okay with it if it's, if they feel it's empowering to them. Right. Mm-hmm. But I don't think, I think, you know, however many partners you want to have is totally your business and you don't have to call yourself a derogatory name uh, right. to be able to have those partners. And so, you know, and I've, I've seen it happen a lot of times where, you know, maybe you were with your partner from a very young age and then they died. And so then you decide that you want to go have a lot of sex. Okay. But I, I just don't, don't think we need to necessarily given a name that makes it seem like we're doing anything wrong. Um, right. But for, for some people, that's, that's really what they want, right. Is they want to go out and have, you know, different relationships and different partners and that's totally okay. So you do you, right. But the fix to your emotions is not in that person. Mm-hmm. Right. If you like the distraction and you're doing that consciously and you know that the fix is not in that person, but yet you want the distraction and it's a conscious choice. Okay. Right. But that's not usually what I see. Usually what I see is if we're, we're, we're thinking that the answer is somewhere outside of us. And so we go searching for a solution that, that ends up being disappointing because it's not there. Right. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, switching jobs, moving houses, changing relationships, any of those external things, they don't bring usually what we're looking for. But right. You know, sometimes you just learn that by experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to play devil's advocate for um, for one second. So, yeah. uh, you know, you had said earlier, like, if people are going through whatever you're going through at the time of your grief is uh, is right for you. Now, let's say, you know, for me being having been on the other side of dealing with somebody who had, who was going through that, if that person was, uh, being a shithead, (laughs) you know, for lack of a better word, mind you, obviously going through something, but being a shithead, there was a period of time I was like, all right, it's okay. Give them a pass. They're going through something. But what, what is the point that that can no longer be the excuse for bad behavior? Because, you know, there are some people who will just use it as an excuse to continue down a path. And, right. and as they say, hurt people, hurt people. And so, so what is that balance for, for all of us um, who are going through something uh, to find a balance between like still treating people decently? Mm-hmm. I think maybe another way to think about it would be, and this is looking inward, right? Is the person I'm being 
creating the life experience that I want. Not is it right or wrong, right? Not is it excusable or not? Because we could make arguments for either one. And I don't think that's nearly as an effective way to look at it as is just thinking, is it creating what I want in my life? Am I showing up as the version of me that I want to be? And then looking at it from that perspective. Because we could always make excuses or we could always say it's not excusable. But really it's that's a really good way. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a really good way to to look at it. Um, kind of that idea of like, are, are you being your best self? Um, yeah. but obviously there's gonna be a point in being in the phase of where you're overcome with the grief that that you're not going to be your best self because you're still figuring yourself out. Yeah. And what's just not helpful is weaponizing whatever's happening toward yourself. Right. And that's what women, especially were so well practiced at taking things and making them weapons against ourselves. Right. So I'm too sad. I'm not sad. I mean, every little thing we can turn into evidence of fault finding, right. Evidence of some inherent issue with ourselves. And that's just not helpful, right? So maybe you said something that you didn't, you know, you, it's not aligned with who you want to be, but to then tell yourself that because you said that makes you a terrible person also isn't helpful, right? So, okay, I said that thing. That's not really who I want to be. And yes, I'm grieving. Now, what do I want to do with that? Do I want to go apologize? Do I want to figure out next time how I'm going to not put myself in that situation? Do I want to figure out how I'm going to let the emotion go through me instead of, you know, reacting to it and letting it fuel me and learning from it and going forward? But just the, it's the criticism that we, it feels valuable sometimes, I think, and it, it's usually not helpful. Mm -hmm. Does that make right. sense? Yeah, yeah, totally. This is an awkward question to ask, right, but I know it. you would be able to understand it, which is, are there ever any positives that come out of experiences like this? Um, can people, what can, or how can people look at, at something, um, a situation with the glass half full when there doesn't even feel like there's water in the glass anymore? Um, mm. Or, you know, again, not not just speaking specifically about loss of a physical person, but the loss of a relationship, the loss of, of love, feeling alone. Um, I just know so many people who are listening to this podcast is because they're looking for something and they're not finding it. And there's this element of, of loss and sadness to that mm -hmm. um, and anxiety and all the things that come with it. Is there anything that we can learn from the, these times? Yeah, I love that you asked that question. So people are typically very familiar with post-traumatic stress disorder, but much less so with post-traumatic growth. Most people have no idea that that's a thing, right? Post-traumatic growth. I can see by the look on your faces. That, like, that is, yeah, so uh, I remember the first time I heard about post-traumatic growth and it was like a record scratch moment where you're like, like what? Like what? Who? Um, so post-traumatic growth, came about in the 90s, a couple of researchers were interested. They were studying what happened to people following trauma. And, it, and before their work, it was just thought that the best case scenario after trauma was that you would try to get yourself back to where you were, back to that kind of baseline of functioning. So you would bounce back, right? 
And post-traumatic growth comes along and says, wait, why are, why are there certain people who after trauma are actually experiencing greater satisfaction in certain mm. areas of life? Like what's happening here? And so the more it was researched, the more they started to figure out, you don't just have to bounce back after a trauma. You can actually use your trauma to bounce forward. Right. And so that's what happened to me. Now, that doesn't mean the trauma wasn't traumatic. That doesn't mean you're going to think the trauma was amazing or that you have to like that it happened, right? That just means that you're still the author of your own life and you still get to decide who am I when this trauma happened, this loss happened or whatever it is, right? And and so it's it's just an opportunity to see your own personal resilience you know, to, to live a life that is more aligned with the person you want to be or the values that you have, right? It can be the way to deeper satisfaction because all the stuff that you used to think was important, you realize isn't actually, right? Do I want to change my career? Do I want to change my relationships? All these things are possible. But sometimes when people hear about post-traumatic growth, they assume that that means, you know, if they want to grow from a loss or have something positive come out of it, that that means they have to be happy that the loss happened. And that's not true, right? They can both exist. Mm. Oh man, I think that was so, that's so powerful that you said that because I'm thinking also about all the people through COVID and this pandemic feeling this great sense of grief and loss of their old lives, some their loved mm-hmm. ones, uh, of just the world it feels is fully changing. And I know there's a lot of people growing through this time. Um, but I also appreciate you saying that because that's how I felt after um, the abusive relationship, which mm-hmm. was years later, I, you know, lots and lots and lots of therapy later. Um, I came out of it. And it's one of the reasons I do this podcast is for that. But but also just generally it changed my way of life and how I conducted myself because I used to have no boundaries. Mm-hmm. And that was my, uh, while on one end I used to romanticize that part of me, I was like, oh man, I was so sweet and innocent and kind and like so open-hearted. I want to be that person again. Mm-hmm. Then there was a point when I finally like worked through all of it and I appreciated who I became, like somebody who was still kind and and doing all of that. But I had boundaries now. And I was like, oh, no, I'm sorry. This behavior is not OK. This is OK. And it took me a long time. And now I like really love, you know, the the person I am. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always used to say uh, I've told a few friends personally, I'd be like. I never want to thank him, but I thank him. Mm-hmm. I never want anybody to go through that again, but at the same time, now I'm grateful. I went through yeah. Um, I still, I still go through the, like, if I ever got to redo my life, like, would I ever want that experience again? Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just kind of like, like, no, like maybe I could have learned it, you know, in a different way. Right. But, but at the same time, um, I appreciate who I've become from it. Uh, and that, that is like, it's a weird feeling to say, thanks for the (laughs) question mark. Thanks. Yeah. And I think we don't have to have 
you know, we don't have to, oh, I'm so glad this happened to me and it was amazing. And I just loved everybody. No, we can be like, that was the absolute worst day of my life or the worst relationship I've ever had. And here's what I did with it, right? Here's who I decided to become after it happened, mm-hmm. right? Still, still exercising yeah. our own power, but without going back and silver lining all of what happened. Yeah. That's so great to say, because I know, um, not exactly this, but my, I used to have this Buddhist monk at one point and, you know, going through some things with some terrible people. I remember asking, you know, people say this cliche thing, well, forgive and forget. Um, and I was like, how, how do you do that? Like, does that mean I can forgive somebody? And, and I kind of do to some of these people. I've been like, Barry, I forgive you. Like you came from a place of unconsciousness. That's fine. I don't, I can't forget it. I can't. And does that mean like I have to go back and be friends with them? Mm. Um, and, you know, it was a good lesson where they were like, no, no, you can forgive in your heart and like not wish ill on them. But you also don't have to be friends with them again. That is yeah. partially your lesson of boundaries and, and all of that. And it's like, let them go with neutrality totally. in a way. Um, and, and, you know, uh, you don't have to invite them back into your life. Yeah, As that's how I feel about the man who caused the accident that, yeah, killed Hugo. I feel that exact same way where I'm not going to spend my energy wishing him harm, right? I genuinely don't think that on a Sunday at 5.30, if you have alcohol and meth in your system, there's some other stuff going on, right? Like mm-hmm. you're, you, you are coping with whatever life, not in a way that I wish you would, but probably in the best way that you know how. You know, and do I want to carry anger around in my heart such that it impacts who I, the life that I have? No. But am I going to hang out with you and invite you over for dinner? Also, no. No. Yes. Yep. I I really appreciate you again saying that. Yeah. Um, You know, as we wrap out this episode, what, what do you think people need to, what's sort of the, is there anything big thing that people need to remember as they're going through kind of grief or you know, somebody just, um, processing it right now. Just be gentle with yourself. I wish that more of us were taught how to navigate emotions because I think what's happened is that, you know, I know I never was. And so we end up then thinking when we're feeling emotions, that they're problems. Mm-hmm. And so we don't know how to just let them flow through us in a clean way. And so we end up experiencing what I call like dirty pain, right? Where we don't just let the, the pain be part of our, our natural human experience. We then judge ourselves for having it or resist it or try to get away from it. And whether it's because you lost someone, you know, to death or because just your life isn't going the way that you thought it was going to go in even the smallest of areas, right? The worst part of that is always the emotion. And the emotion can't hurt you, right? It's just, it's just a vibration in your body, right? It's not actually going to hurt you. So if you can just let it be gentle with yourself as it's there, let it be with you. You don't need to get away from it. You don't need to eat it. That's what I tried to do. (laughs) Just like have it with you and give it permission to be there and keep going. Right. And, and that I think just makes for a much cleaner grief experience, no matter what the grief is caused by. Uh, well, Krista, thank you so much for sharing uh, your story with us. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, so much great insight, I think, for people 
um, going through things at varying stages um, and varying forms, I think, of grief. Uh, so thank you so much for that. My pleasure. Absolutely. Uh, you know, you're not completely done, though. <laughs> we have a segment called Six Questions, Uh-oh. where we ask every guest the exact same six questions. So it's like a little okay. rapid fire thing. Like rapid know? fire. Uh, yeah. Is there a grade? Uh, is there a grade at the <laughs> Is there a grade? No. You know okay. what? All right. Just no. checking. Okay. All right. Okay. Um, all right. So Krista, here are your, uh, six questions. What, what is the first thing you notice about a potential partner? Yeah. Um, probably their like smile, their humor. Like I like to laugh. So if somebody's got a good smile or a good sense of humor, I will notice that pretty quickly. Yeah. What is one deal breaker? You know, I used, so my deal breaker has changed. I used to think my deal breaker was not knowing the difference between Y-O-U-R and Y-O-U apostrophe R-E. <laughs> like one of my art and best rules. And now my partner does not know the difference. And I'm so glad I did not go with that rule because <laughs> like so funny. just the, the best guy in all ways, but grammatically challenged. <laughs> um, so I... So I would say it has switched. That would be still be a real deal breaker to me. If you are not um, a kind person, right? If you're treating people in a mean way, um, especially for that they can't control, that is not okay with me at all. What turns you on? Who gives me their undivided attention? Like somebody who makes you feel like you're the center of their moment, right? That's yeah. That's super sexy to me. Yeah. What are one of your strengths and one of your weaknesses in relationships? Oh, um, I think I've just kind of always had this ability. Like I can always see where people are coming from. I'm pretty empathetic. So I think that can be a strength, but I also think that can be a weakness. So I can, I can see where they're coming from, but then I can make excuses because I can see where they're coming from. Right. And like lower my standards. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. I feel you on that one. Uh, <laughs> uh, what is love? Uh, you know, I love the idea that love, because this was hard for me, especially my first marriage. I love the idea that love is like a verb. It's like an action. Because I used to only think that love was how you felt. And so uh, realizing that you can be in a loving relationship, you can be committed to love and not always feel love, but still act in loving ways. Uh, that that is a definition that resonates with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and last question, our favorite. Besides, I love you. What three words would you want your partner to tell you? Um, it would be like I'm a big cuddler, so it would be like, "Can we cuddle? Like, do you want to oh, cuddle with me? I love like, it. yeah, can we cuddle? Yeah." Oh, love that. Well, Krista, thank you again for being on uh, the show. How can everyone find you and your podcast and and all the fun things? Sure. Yeah. So the podcast is the Widowed Mom Podcast. And I will say that even though I am super niche in the name of that podcast, really, if you're looking for support on grief, it's it's a lot of information about grief and post-traumatic growth and all the things. So I get you know, emails from people all the time who aren't widows and aren't moms that are listening to the podcast and benefiting. So definitely there. Um, Instagram, you can find me at Life Coach Krista. 
And then um, website is coachingwithkrista.com and that has all the things. Awesome. And guys, we are going to have all of this in the description of this episode. So please make sure you follow Krista. Aish, how can everyone find you? You guys can find me at Aisha Says Dance everywhere. Uh, and guys, we are at Kind of Dating across the board. I am at Natasha Chandel on Instagram, Natasha.Chandel on TikTok, Natasha underscore Chandel on Twitter. Thank you so much for downloading this episode. If you could please tell a friend, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, we'd be so grateful. Also, send us your dating stories and thoughts to kindadating at gmail.com. Finally, I know it seems tough out there, but just try. Till next time. Kinda Dating is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. Kinda Dating is created, produced, and hosted by myself, Natasha Chandel. Aisha Holden is my co-host. Adam Pineless and Karina Uribe are producers. And Deanna Martinez is our graphic designer. Our opening music is composed by Joe Lorenzetti, and our logo and graphics are by Jenna Yannick and K. Daniel Ellis.